Good morning. <laughs> All right. So this morning we're going to be in Acts 3, continuing through Acts 3. Um, it's on page 911 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to use one of those. If not, then we're going to be in Acts 3, verses 11 through 26. So I'll give you a minute to get there. All right. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Well, here we go. Another incredible sermon. Peter. I'm really, I'm really sorry that you're stuck with me, but we get to look at words inspired by the Holy Spirit, and our greatest hope is that the same Holy Spirit is with us and will use the Word and the words that I bring to speak also to your heart. Last week we began the, the, the scene, which really runs from chapter 3 through chapter 4, the healing of this lame man and the stir that it caused, the buzz that it caused amongst the crowds that assembled and within the, the Jewish authorities in the temple. And so here's Peter explaining that event. So if you missed last week, you can look back into the beginning of chapter 3 and capture at least a flavor of it, of what led up to this powerful sermon. The second of Peter's sermons that we come to already in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, the first being after the event of Pentecost when 3,000 came to faith in Jesus. And here after this sermon, uh, it's been argued that another 2,000 responded 
the number has grown to 5,000 men is the note at the end of this scene. Pretty amazing what God is, is doing. Well, last week as we began, we really kind of took it from the angle of Jesus Christ, our healer, and that the healing ministry of Jesus continues. That was the normal Christian life. And so thank you for those that responded to that and gave us an opportunity to pray with you as pastors, as elders. We thank you for those that uh, reached out to us during the week. Uh, some of you weren't here and then listened online and, and said, I, I could use some prayer and we look forward to meeting with you uh, today. And we just count it a privilege. It's a, it's a privilege, not a responsibility. It's a, it's a blessed role as a part of the office that comes with the elder office. And according to James chapter 5, those who are sick are, are exhorted, encouraged to call the elders to anoint with oil and to pray in the name of the Lord. And so we count it a great privilege. And we expect that God works. And so for those that have received that kind of prayer, or will be even today, uh, we also encourage to give testimony as God heals, whether in part, whether in full, whether instantaneously or progressively. We are to give testimony to His mighty work as the early church did. And I I left us last week saying, I, I long to grow in faith like the early church had. Regardless of how the Holy Spirit works and manifests, I long to grow in that way. And I would want it to be true of me, and I, I would want it to be true of us as a people that we are more surprised when God's answer to our prayer is not yet. Our healing is complete in Christ. Instantaneously, the spiritual healing is provided in Jesus, as we believe, as we come to Him, we are renewed, restored, redeemed, saved. If His answer to our physical healing is not yet, we have the confidence that it is completed. By His wounds you are healed. The prophecy of Isaiah, confirmed by Matthew, our healing is complete. Any physical healing that we may experience at the hand of God, through the Holy Spirit, by the work of Jesus Christ, today or in the days to come, I said last week, is temporary. Now that that physical healing may be full and complete, but ultimately all of our bodies are degrading, will not ultimately be healed. These earthly tents will die, but our healing, our full healing and Fullness is already complete. So may we be a people that are surprised as the early church was because we live with an expectation and an anticipation of God answering the prayers in accordance with his healing will. So when he says, not yet, as we continue to pursue him, that that's where the surprise and the wonder comes. Lord, I wonder what you are doing. I wonder why you are saying what feels like a no but is ultimately a not yet. Remember that he said, even to the Apostle Paul, one who had been given the gift of healing and the gift of mir- the working of miracles, he said to Paul, who pleaded with him for the removal of a thorn in his flesh, so very likely some form of physical ailment, pain, or suffering. He, God's answer to him through Jesus was, my grace is sufficient for you. 
My grace is enough. Stand in my grace. He was saying to Paul, no, that's what it felt like, or ultimately, not yet. And Paul lived out his days, as far as we know, with that thorn, with that ailment, with that pain. I pray that we would, and I long for us to become a people who are more surprised when that's God's answer. That we are then wondering, God, what are you doing? You are still at work, but it feels like you're, you're not answering or you're not working in accordance with the promises that you've given. Peter exhorts the crowd here in the same kind of way. This is where we left off last week. Verse 12. Now, maybe it's an exhortation, maybe it's a rebuke, depending on how you receive it. Maybe we need to receive it that way as well. Peter saw the response the buzz that had been stirred because of the healing of this lame man. And he said to the men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? This is not where your wonder should be. They were utterly astounded that this had taken place. Peter wants to direct them to the same concept that I'm articulating. Don't wonder at this. Don't be surprised that this man has been miraculously healed, the ministry, the healing ministry of Jesus continues. Do not be surprised at this. Do not wonder as if it was us who were doing the healing. Look at us, just like Peter had said to the layman. Look at us. We're but commoners. There's nothing within us to have this kind of power or as if we were high, truly pious. We are not the religious elite as you would see us. No, the one who healed this is your God and ours. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Through the Messiah, Jesus. Through his name alone, this man is healed. That's what Peter is saying saying to his fellow Jews. Do not be surprised. Do not wonder at this. And as we go through the sermon, really what he's saying you should be astounded at and be wondering about is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he's greater than anything we could have thought or hoped. He has accomplished our redemption. He has delivered. He has triumphed. He is ruling and reigning. And he will forgive every sin. Wonder at that. That's Peter's point. Let the healing ministry and the powerful ministry of Jesus that continues now not astound you. Jesus has come and demonstrated what God with us looks like. Now the Spirit is here. So he exhorts his fellow Jews not to be surprised that the author of life was present, active, and working among them. And the healing of this one Lame man is simply evidence to confirm that. Now, none assembled could deny it. This man was recognizable. He had been sitting at this gate for decades. Everyone knew him. They could not deny that the one who had been lame was now walking, leaping, praising God, giving testimony to what had happened. So they had two options. They could believe it and turn to Jesus Or they could dismiss it, fight against it. It's amazing that the truth of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, has always produced those two responses. 
Right? The Puritans used to have a, a phrase, a couple different ways of saying it, but the same sun that hardens the clay melts the ice. And so we see the two responses really through the rest of this scene. Many believing and turning to Jesus, taking the words of Peter, reflecting on the words of the Scriptures that they knew, and turning to put their faith in Jesus the Messiah. And then a whole other group dismissing it, fighting against it, denying it, looking for whatever excuse they could find at the meaning for what they were observing. And they end up arresting Peter and John, and we'll see that in the rest of the scene as we work through it. Now it's important for us to realize, excuse me, it's important for us to realize who Peter is preaching to. His audience are his fellow Jews. So they are believers. They hold the same faith and the same heritage that Peter and John and the disciples had. So they can build that bridge with them. They believe in the one God, the creator of all things, the author of life. And yet their lives, their behavior, their attitude proved that they were on some spectrum of either devout, serious believers, though ignorant, it will be proven, or insincere, yet religious. I'm going to borrow the worship leader's water. Hopefully she will forgive me. I think that's probably true of us. Some of us. All of us. That we are on the spectrum somewhere between serious, sincere, devout faith, maybe though ignorant, ignorant of the full promises of God, or we are in some way going through religious motions. Insincere yet religious. Maybe even arrogantly believing that we are somewhere further up the spiritual food chain. Jesus said in Matthew 15.8, This people honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me. They teach as doctrine, as truth, the commandments of men. Commandments that they have made. I'd say, what other explanation would we offer for why our faith and our lives hardly, maybe at best intermittently, resemble the faith and the lives of the early church? As we looked at the end of chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we spent a couple weeks on that passage. These early believers were devoted. Radical, full, and expectant. Let me flesh that out a bit. They were devoted to prayer, to worship, to fellowship. They were radical in their generosity and hospitality, being bold in their proclamation of Jesus as Savior, as Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as Lord. They were full of hope, love, and joy. They were expectant of the Holy Spirit's manifest presence and power in and through them. In our language of greenhouse, they were planted, 
growing, bearing, and sowing. So perhaps we need to hear the same message that Peter preaches, recognizing if we are honest that we are on that same spectrum somewhere as those first hearers, I I would guess that most of us are at minimum believers in God, in a greater, higher power. This is at minimum. The author of life, that there is something more I don't know every one of you and every one of your story, but I'm guessing that that would unify us as we gather this morning at the lowest common denominator up to serious, devout, yet in some ways our lives betray our attitudes, our thoughts, that we are living in and by the full promises of God. And so if we are on that spectrum somewhere, And we too need to receive the same message from Peter. It's one of my favorite sermons to preach. It's all about Jesus. It's kind of the sermon every week. And and I love that we have a three-point sermon by Peter. Most of my sermons are pointless. Peter gives us three points, and he's straight to the heart. One, Jesus is Messiah. Two, you killed him. Three, it's not too late. See if we can flesh that out. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is your Messiah. Just as Peter in the Pentecost sermon proved that he knew his audience and found the hook, right? As a fisherman, you gotta, you got to have a hook or you're getting nothing. you got to find the hook. So he recognizes who his audience is, Jews, and what's his hook? The God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. All right, that's for the Jews, that's the Holy Trinity. These were the patriarchs. These were the men who walked with God and had the covenantal promise that passed on to them. So what what Peter is saying is that we too are fellow Jews. We worship this God that has not changed. We worship Yahweh. We now worship Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. We we missed it. We, We expected him to be other than what he is, and yet he is far greater than any of us could have imagined. He has come. He has conquered. He has delivered. He is now ascended, and he is ruling and reigning. And he's commissioned us to call back to himself all of his people, and not just as people, but now all peoples. That's the message that he is proclaiming. He quotes from Deuteronomy 18.15. It's one of the first clear messianic promises in Scripture written by Moses himself. Peter says in verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, this is Jesus. This is the prophet that we've been longing for, that Moses spoke of. It's Jesus. Verse 18 and 24, Peter articulates that God foretold the coming of the Messiah, of this prophet, of this Redeemer, through the mouths of all the prophets. Right? Verse 24, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and all those who have come after him 
They've also proclaimed these days. This is the time. These days. That would include the days they're actually living in, but those previous years too, the ministry of Jesus. These are the days that have been spoken of for centuries, millennia. It's being fulfilled in our midst. It's likely that Peter's thinking back to the Emmaus Road. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. There were two men walking, with, and Jesus showed up, and probably in, in walking with them, performed one of the greatest Bible studies in the history of the world. And Peter may have been one of those, but certainly if he wasn't, quickly heard about this amazing encounter with the risen, now risen Jesus. The testimony of Luke is, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so Moses and Samuel and all the prophets after him, Jesus interpreted to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus taught that very first sermon. It's all about me. That Peter was preaching. It's all about him. That I'm trying to preach week in and week out. It's all about Jesus. In the whole story, it's all about Jesus. This includes Isaiah 53, which we looked at last week. That he will be a suffering servant the one, the Messiah who would come. Peter also names him here as the author of life. That would have been a title reserved for Yahweh, God alone, the creator of all things. He now assigns to Jesus, the author of life. Now remember, John was standing there with Peter. What did John later write about? It would have been decades later when he wrote the Gospel of John. This is how he began his Gospel the author of life. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus, he's not just the creator of all life, but he's the redeemer, the restorer, the rescuer, the renewer, the refresher of all life. I know the words of the prophet Ezekiel come to mind. They have a few times as we've worked through these first couple chapters of Acts. Ezekiel 37, verse 9. Remember, the words of all the prophets have pointed to these days. That's what Peter was preaching. Also remember that as you read, as Lauren read through this for us in about three and a half minutes, this wasn't a three and a half minute sermon. Go back to Acts 2.40. And with many other words he exhorted them. So again, I am emboldened. It was probably a 51 or 52 minute sermon. Perfect length for a sermon. Ezekiel 37 verse 9. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds. O breath, come from the four winds and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as He commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. The vision of the dry bones on the valley and the breath of God coming upon them. Two chapters later, Ezekiel 39, verse 29. And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my Spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord. His promise was being fulfilled in their very midst. The Spirit has been poured out those who are dead are being made alive spiritually. The testimony now of 
these healings, those that are broken being healed, of bones being strengthened, which certainly happened to the lame man who had never put any weight on those legs in his whole life. And those bones, along with the joints, tendons, sinews, and the muscle must have been strengthened. This is evidence. This is the sign of the fulfillment of the words of the prophet Ezekiel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that has been written. He is the greater Abraham. Remember that Jesus himself, confronting the Jews, John 8, he said, who do you, this is the short version, who do you think you are? You, you think you are greater than Abraham? And Jesus' reply, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. They knew exactly what he was claiming. And here's, what, here's Peter again. They know dishonor to Abraham. He received the covenantal promise. Through him all the nations will be blessed. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is bringing that covenant. Through him all the nations of the earth are blessed. Jesus is the greater Abraham. Jesus is the greater Moses. While Moses delivered and rescued through signs and through wonders. God's people, now, Jesus has come to offer a greater rescue, a greater deliverance with greater power. Jesus is the greater Samuel, the truest, the final prophet, the one who speaks for God himself. He is the greater David, the ruling and righteous king today and for all time. No other name is higher or carries greater authority. Jesus is the Messiah we've been longing for. You say it another way. The Messiah we've been longing for is Jesus the Christ. You killed him. He doesn't mince words. Goes right into point two. You killed him. Verse 14. You denied the holy and righteous one and you killed the author of life. I talk about that being personal. He's speaking in the temple. Is it possible that some of the same religious leaders and authorities who had stood over or shouted out, crucify him, crucify him, were now hearing his words? I believe so. But certainly not everyone who was gathered that day was present the day that Jesus was crucified. So how could Peter so boldly and directly say to the crowds, you killed him. You killed the author of life. By the way, he didn't stop there. He said, you asked for a murderer in place of the life giver. You're worse than Pilate. You don't understand the scriptures. You've disregarded your privilege as the covenant people of God. Talk about going right at the heart, or at the jugular. He doesn't mince words. Bad news, good news. Earlier I gave that announcement. I said, good news, bad news. Are you the kind of person that, if you get are given that option, you're, 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 there's one of like three, three kind of people. You either say, give me, give, me the, give me the bad news, 
I want to I hang on for the good news. Give me the good news. Give me the good news. Well, we'll deal with the bad. The third person usually just slaps you and walks away. I think the only reason that we would ever say, uh, give, me the, give, me the, give me the bad news first, is when it really is not that bad of news. And the good news is the dominant force. Well, here Peter gives the bad news. And in, in gospel terms, we only rightly receive the good news. The truth, the depth of what the gospel has done and accomplishes when we rightly recognize the tragedy and depth of the bad news. That every one of us, how could Peter say, you killed the author of life when they, they didn't hold the hammer or the nails? They didn't cry, many of them didn't cry out, crucify him. Many of them weren't even present at the life and ministry of Jesus to see him firsthand. The same way that we can engage the same passage and the same truth today, that we too have transgressed against the very Son of God, the author of life, and ultimately put Him upon the cross. Every one of us has denied, dismissed, or doubted the full promises of God, whether in ignorance, later we'll see that, you did not know what you, what you were doing. Peter will come to defend his brothers in just a moment. Whether in ignorance or whether in outright arrogance, we see the truth and we want nothing of it. Because that truth means less of ourselves and more of God. And men throughout history have been resisting that notion. In fact, Adam and Eve modeled it for us in the garden. In fact, they modeled both ignorance and arrogance. Eve begins to interact with the serpent. Ignorance. Well, maybe arrogance. She misquotes God's very promises. Ignorance. Also some blame going to Adam, who was the one who received them and should have more clearly passed them on. Ignorance is being displayed as the serpent, wise, cunning, distracts them, questions. Did God really say? Is God really who he claims to be, who you think he is? Isn't he withholding from you something good? Look at this tree. Is this not good? He doesn't want you to have it because you would be like him. Your eyes would be open. So they engage into this in complete ignorance, which I think then moves to arrogance as they take the fruit and they say, they believe we will not die as they bite it. And look, we have not died. God cannot be trusted. We have come to see something that God has not revealed. That's an arrogant belief. We have now received something good that God did not want us to have. Questioning His very nature. These are our parents. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. The Scriptures give testimony. Back to Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Essentially a commentary on the garden at that tree. Every one of us has turned to his own way, his own perspective, his own assumptions, his own desires. Every one of us, we are the same. This is how Peter says, you killed him. Now, Peter himself had to wrestle with that, did he not? To be fully restored and redeemed. He, he was not putting himself higher or above his fellow Jews. 
He's simply saying, by the grace and mercy of God, my eyes have been opened to the very same that I have done. And may your eyes and heart be open also. Jeremiah 2.13, I think one of the more convicting parts of Scripture regarding this reality. For my people, God says, committed two evils. They've forsaken me. That's number one. I'm the fountain of living waters, and they've forsaken me. They've turned from me. That's one evil. Second, instead of turning back to me, they dug out for themselves their own cisterns, which are broken and can hold no water. Look how that lines up with what Peter says here in this sermon. You have denied the Holy and Righteous One. You've rejected, you've forsaken the, living, the, the fountain of life, the one where living water comes from. You've denied and, the Holy and Righteous One. You've asked for a murderer in His place. You've traded life for death. That's what Peter is preaching. The Apostle Paul would later pick up this theme. Ephesians 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what Paul is saying. All of us are under the wrath of God. Everyone. We have all transgressed. We are all dead in our sins, both by nature and by will. We rightly deserve the punishment that comes from being the murderers of God's one and only Son. That's on us. We're under His wrath. We're, by our very nature, objects of God's wrath. That's what's deserved. Any life and breath we have now is actually grace. But Paul goes further. As Peter goes further, they go past. They do not leave us in this place of bad news. Paul says, but because of God's great love, He is rich in mercy, and He has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. By grace, you have been saved. This is where Peter goes. It's not too late. Jesus is the Messiah. You killed Him. Everyone. He'll say, we killed Him. But it's not too late. It's not too late. No sin is too great. Jesus is offering pardon. Though you deserve the just penalty of being a murderer of God's only Son, Jesus is offering pardon. It actually goes deeper than that. Jesus is offering more than just a pardon. Than just an ability to escape that punishment. More than just that mercy. In its place, Jesus is offering life. Jesus is offering life eternal. Jesus is offering renewal, refreshing, fullness, and more and more. Jesus, because of his willingness to take upon himself all of our sin, to become sin, to put it to death in its place, he is offering life. 
Jesus when he hung on the cross. Luke 24, verse 33. When he was crucified and he hung on the cross with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left, Jesus said as he prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Remarkable grace and mercy. And if Jesus offers forgiveness for even those who were there to hold the hammer and the nails, though those were the Roman soldiers, He offers forgiveness and grace. I believe primarily He's speaking of the Jews who are standing at the foot of the cross and mocking and spitting upon Him. Oh, if you're the Son of God, come down from there. Certainly you have that power. That's who He's praying for. And for every one of us who hears our voice with the mockers, sees our life and our mind and our attitude, rejecting and denying our very Lord and Savior. Peter now switches and become, to build the good news, becomes their advocate. He goes from prosecuting attorney to their defense attorney. He affirms that they, act in, they acted in ignorance. And though the crime was heinous, God's grace and love was magnificent. And God raised up the one that we put to death. Verse 16. Acts 3.16 And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and you know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Make that personal. As we try to engage this passage. By the name of Jesus, by the faith in His name, He gives us life. He heals everyone who comes to Him. Through Jesus, these dead bones are made alive. The Spirit is poured out upon us. And He sees us as perfect, as righteous, as redeemed. It's not too late. It's not too late, brothers, sisters, everyone. You're still within sound of My voice. The proclamation of the voice of Jesus calling to His sons and daughters, come to Me, all you who are weary. Come to Me, all you who have wandered and run. Come to Me, all who have denied and rejected. Come to Me, all who are trusting in the works of their own hands to save, to fulfill. Come to Me and find life. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Peter is saying our eyes have been opened. And now we know that all the Scriptures pointed to Him. Brothers, sisters, see and believe. He is the fulfillment of the covenant promise. That's Peter's purpose. Jesus is the Messiah. You killed Him. But it's not too late. His love, grace, and mercy extends. And that's the same message we need to hear again. As we enter into the same story, 
Because we live in the same age. Jesus has risen and ascended. And He's coming back. That's the age they lived in. That's the age we are living in. The same sermon preaches. Jesus is the Messiah. We killed Him. In ignorance, but through action and outright arrogance, we deserve that punishment. The call is to repentance. Repent and turn. Repent, that very word means a changing of mind. What I once believed, I no longer believe. I change my mind. I repent. I turn from and turn toward. I turn from the path that my life was on, believing that set of values, of truths, wherever those were, however and wherever those came from and were instilled within you. I change my mind and I turn. For the Jews, this was very difficult. Their heritage was their identity. Their relationship with God was who they were. And Peter essentially is saying, change your mind. The God you thought you knew is actually bigger. And he sent Jesus. In fact, he is Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's hard to say I was wrong. Sounds simple, doesn't it? I was wrong. And even in the simple, small, insignificant things, we feel like that has something to do with our identity. Or it's our pride. Or our insecurity. I was wrong. But I know what's harder is living for decades Believing one set of values and living in accordance with it in pursuit of it and coming to a place that says, I was wrong. The whole course of my life, all the decisions that I have made were under those values and those principles, those perspectives, and I was wrong. The reality is, almost Everyone in our culture, and I'll speak to the American culture because I can speak to it. Perhaps it's global. But in the American culture, almost every one of us, especially men, get to that place at some point. Our world calls it the midlife crisis. Everything I thought I was working toward that would fulfill, hasn't. I was wrong. The difference is where you turn to. How you change your mind. What do you change it toward? Most feel like I can tweak something, I can change something. I guess I need a new wife. A better family. A new career, more freedom, a new toy. On and on the list goes. What Peter was calling his brothers and sisters to was that same call that would come to us today. If we've been living our whole life by the set 
of our own values, our own perspectives, and our own truths. And we're at a place saying, what I thought would lead me to fulfillment, joy, fullness, satisfaction, completeness, make life worth meaning, has not. Like, I don't think I'm anywhere closer than I was when I was 20. The same call is to us to turn, to change. But the call is to Jesus Christ. Instead of putting ourselves into a new position of authority, with a new wisdom and understanding, we put Jesus on the throne and ask Him to lead, fill, to renew, to restore, to heal, and to change, to transform our minds. The author of life who has created us is also the renewer of life who will restore us, heal us, and forgive us. As John, as John read earlier, verse 19 and 20, I've just been meditating on all week, the power, powerful promise of our sins will be blotted out and that, that in and of itself is incredible. The mercy of Christ that we would not be punished. The grace of Christ that we would have life in His name. And yet it goes deeper. Verse 20, And that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. This is the promise. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus gives more than just grace. Though grace is enough. More than just mercy, though being forgiven and cleansed is incredible. He promises life and life to the full. I spent a year and a half preaching on this theme from the Gospel of John. I have not come just to give life, but life abundant. Life to the full. Life rich. He is the author of life in Him, and His presence is refreshing. I love that Greek word. The literal translation is like to recover your breath. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Have you ever had to gasp for breath, maybe after a long and strenuous run or activity and you're just trying to, you're sucking wind? Have you ever had extended times where you can't catch your breath? You you try to take that deep breath and you just, you get caught up short. You just can't fill your lungs. This word is describing the fullness of your lungs. If you can do it, do it now. Exhale, take a deep breath. And just let it slowly out. That feeling is a sliver, is a meager taste. That little bit of peace and rightness in that moment, it's like a blink. It's like a, it just disappears, doesn't it? You need another one. That's what this word is describing. It's the recovery, the fullness of breath in your lungs. It's the full lifeness. It's the rightness. This is what the presence of Jesus offers us consistently and continually. As we head into response, team, you can come and, and be ready to lead us. Perhaps your response this morning is true repentance for the first time, trusting Jesus, changing your mind about the course of your life, and coming to Him. And I know you don't have that all worked out, if that's you, or every step, and you have 
a billion questions, welcome to the club. Make your first step coming to this new altar in Jesus' name. The Jews would come with sacrifices. Jesus was the final sacrifice. The bread and the juice represent His body and His blood shed. We come to this altar receiving that the sacrifice has been paid. It has been done. And we accept it on our behalf. That's all you need to know. If the Spirit is stirring and drawing you, come and find the newness of life and the fullness of life that Jesus only, no other name, no other one, can offer what Jesus does. Perhaps your response this morning is receiving the refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. Some of you came for healing prayer physically last week. We invite you again. We are, we are, it's our privilege every week, every time we gather, we would love to pray in that way. If the music is too loud, come find us afterward and we will continue in that ministry. But maybe some of you need to respond, not just for physical healing, or maybe some of you would say, I know I'm not perfect, but I've got nothing significant. What I need healing prayer for is my mind, my emotions, my attitude. Something is broken. If your life and faith is marked by dullness, depression, even despair, if words like malaise or monotony are what describe you, grayness, easy this time of year, fallowness, if you feel like dry bones, if you feel like your whole spiritual life is like trying to catch a deep breath and you can't, then come and receive prayer. Receive the promise of Jesus to bring times of refreshing in His presence. His presence is here. He proved it on Pentecost when He poured out His Spirit to His church. We are His church. His presence is here. Our prayer is that we become more aware of His presence. Come to the table, this altar. Come to the author of life. Come for prayer. Respond as we sing. Make these words your prayers. Would you join me in this prayer? Jesus, may this be a time of refreshing for your church here. Each of your beloved sons and daughters. These few moments that we would be fully aware of your presence with us. Lead us to repentance. Lead us to refreshing. Breathe, O breath of God. Let these dead bones within us become alive again in Jesus through the Spirit for Your glory and for our joy. Amen.